All right, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. Her name is Bethany Legere. I hope I pronounced that right. And she's written a book uh, titled Physically In, Mentally Out, Navigating Your Exit from Watchtower. She published that May 9th, 2020. And I've also had some other XJW, well, that'll be the acronym for Jehovah's Witnesses, XJW people on my show talking about their experiences. One was Jack Pine, the other Mike Shemwell. But we're going to talk about her book, about what it takes for people to uh, successfully transfer from uh, from that group into a life without that group, which also has a lot of perils involved. So she's going to talk about that. But uh, I reached out to her a while back, and she kind of caught up with me. So I'm delighted that she took time up to talk about her experiences. So, Bethany, are you there? I am here. Thank you for having awesome. me on, William. William. Great. Well, thanks for uh, joining me. It's a delight to have you on. Can you talk a little bit about your background? I, I know you're in the Jehovah's Witnesses, but what, when your background led you to this point where you decided to leave the group? Yeah. So a, a little bit about my background. I was born into and raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, my parents were devout Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, their parents were witnesses, so it was this multi-generational thing. Um, I was what you call um, a, a solid publisher. I was putting in eight to ten hours a month, knocking on doors, going out in the ministry. Um, my parents were, you know, spiritual pillars of the congregation, as they would say. They were not flaky. We were not a flaky family, but we weren't a militant, like super strict family. As witness parents go my parents were pretty liberal, like uh, more on the balance side, you know, like I was allowed to watch MTV. <laughs> I went to public school. I, you know, held down jobs as an adult. My mother encouraged me to go to go to college. And that was a big no, no in witness world. You're not supposed to go to college. And so that was a big deal. I went and I was the only person in my family uh, to ever go to college. And I earned my un- undergraduate degree. Uh, so yeah, it's not like, it's not like I was living on a compound away from society. <laughs> like I, on the outside, I look normal, but the ideology that I was raised in was just so bizarre. And I found myself from a young age having to compartmentalize everything Um, And that just really messed me up as time went on. But you can't really articulate that as a child. You just know that something in your something, your gut's telling you something's wrong. But as a Jehovah's Witness, you learn you learn to suppress your intuition. That's your heart. Your heart is treacherous or, you know, that's Satan messing with your mind. So just just like a few examples really quickly. I had a lot of worldly family, worldly, meaning non Jehovah's Witness family. That was the term that they used. And um, I loved them. We had a good relationship. You know, I went to visit them in different states and they, some of them are in Europe too. You know, I had a good relationship. But then two days later, I'd go to the Kingdom Hall and they'd say, you know, anyone who's not a Jehovah's Witness is going to die at Armageddon. So from, again, from a young age, that, that cognitive dissonance of like, these are good people. I love my worldly family. But if they don't convert to being Jehovah's Witnesses, they're going to die at Armageddon. So stuff like that. I couldn't I couldn't um, reconcile the two. And, you know, my mother was was always trying to rationalize it as or explain it away that, oh, Jehovah knows the heart. He'll work everything out. He's a good God. And I think my mother's from that boomer generation. I think 
a lot of them uh, use that line. But the official company line is that if you're not a baptized servant of Jehovah, you're not a baptized member of the organization, you will die at Armageddon and not make it into paradise. So being raised with like two value systems was was really confusing and bothered me. And just as one more example, um, growing up to kind of just uh, give you a kind of an idea of what it was like as a child growing up in the organization. I have an older brother. He's 10 years older than me. And he got in trouble as a teenager. He was disfellowshipped or excommunicated, uh, kicked out from the organization. And I'm like, you know, I'm like six years old. He's 16. It's probably like some minor offense, but they treated it like it was some major moral failing. (laughs) And, uh, you know, this teenage boy, whatever he got into and then got in trouble. But long story short, he got kicked out. He came back. And for a few years, but then he fell off the face of the earth for 20 years. He was inactive. He was not an active Jehovah's Witness. And the thing that got me was, you know, I loved my brother no matter what. I didn't judge him. I loved him unconditionally. But I would hear gossip and people talking trash about my brother. And, you know, if he doesn't come back to Jehovah, he's going to die. So just... It was just crazy. It was like I was raised by very non-judgmental, balanced parents, but I was stuck in an organization and an ideology that were in conflict. And that, you know, that shit got tiring. At what age did you start kind of having second guessing or when did those kind of questions arise in your mind? It never sat right with me. It never sat right with me. So to, to have an age specifically, I don't know, as a teenager, just as time went on, I was, I felt ill. It was, it was making me, it was making me sick. Um, but so anyways, I, to kind of back up a little bit, I became the golden child. And of course, if my family was sitting here right now, if my parents were sitting here, they would dispute that. They didn't explicitly say it's all on you now, Beth. You know, they weren't standing over me with a whip, but anyone who grew up in the organization for viewers who might have been former Jehovah's Witnesses, anyone who grew up in the organization knows that JW culture thrives on image and drama and shame. So growing up, I, even though they didn't explicitly tell me everything's on you now, there was tremendous pressure to make sure that I didn't put my parents through another round of shame and drama, you know, like my brother was the screw up, but I'm going to be the one that makes the family proud. And again, I didn't judge him for any of that. I loved him. I didn't understand the politics and, you know, the, the BS of the organization at a young age, but it became clearer and clearer as I got older. And so, so you have problems and you come from a family background in Texas of all of these Jehovah's Witnesses. What what kind of steps did you start taking in your mind? Like, I'm, I want to live a life outside of this group. Yeah. OK, so <laughs> I got here's the problem. Like I said, I was never happy as a witness. Always something something always felt off. But I got baptized at 15 because that's what my peers were doing. I, you know, if you want to gain the approval, the love and approval of your parents and your community and not die at Armageddon, you got to get baptized. So, but it was just such an awkward, boring, 
like corporate religion. It never, I never connected to it. It never felt spiritual. It never felt right for me. And I was constantly suppressing my true nature. I was more creative and artistic. I love to paint and, but I just felt stuck. And there's an expression, I'm sure you've heard this, you know, it's not the best marriage, but you know, we're trying to make it work. That's how I felt as a witness in my late teens and twenties of like, this doesn't feel right, but I'm stuck. I've, I've been taught this is the truth. Where am I to go to, Lord? So I have to make this work. So kind of to answer your question, I would congregation hop. I would travel, you know, meet people in different congregations and try to work within my tribe. But they never really felt like my tribe. You know, I met there's good Jehovah's Witnesses out there. I met good people, you know, and, and tried to make something work that just, you know, wasn't wasn't happening. Um, I just, I felt trapped. And and that uh, you talk about the ideology of JW, what are the, for people who aren't familiar, maybe with some of the things that the group that you involved in, can you just discuss what made you, what actions by JW made you feel trapped? Yeah. So they are taught that they have the one true religion. Every other religion is false. If you're not a Jehovah's Witness, by the time Armageddon rolls around, you're going to die. Everyone else, you should be suspicious of everyone. So, you know, no one, no one outside of the circle has good intentions. They may see like your classmate or your coworker may seem friendly, uh, you know, may seem helpful or whatever, but really they have an ulterior motive and they would kill you if given the chance. You know, just a lot of a lot of fear mongering. Um, and not respecting your conscience, uh, you know, something doesn't feel right. Listen to your conscience, your intuition, do what's best for you. No, you have to follow the rules or face the consequences. Just very rule driven. But also the consequences, especially for children are pretty extreme. Like you could get shunned and those are, I mean, those are pretty jarring events, even for an adult. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. See, and that's the thing. When you get baptized, it's a traptism. It's not a baptism. It's a traptism. You can't just leave because you will be shunned. But there's a judicial loophole. See, Jehovah's Witnesses have their own um, have their own internal court system. And uh, if you're not baptized, it's crazy. You can technically hold opposing viewpoints. Um you can you can do your thing and not get shunned by your family. You might get a little crap from them, but they're not going to completely cut you off just because you didn't get baptized. So it's kind of a kind of a crazy fun fact. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people who don't get shunned. They were raised as Jehovah's Witnesses, but they don't get shunned, even though they're, you know, living in sin and celebrating Christmas. And, and doing whatever because they weren't baptized at 10 years old. But if you were baptized at eight, nine, 10 years old, you're held to that standard for the rest of your life. Interesting. And they're kind of like my, my discussions with other people. There's always this looming of Armageddon. That seems like it's right around oh. the corner. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Constant, constant fear mongering um, of, you know, 
fire and fireballs coming out of the sky, people having nightmares, you know, as kids. And, you know, you can't hang out with little, you know, little Eric at school or little Stacy at school because she's not a Jehovah's Witness. They're not Jehovah's Witnesses. And, you know, they're going to die like crazy stuff from the time you're a small child. And, uh, you know, I know some people would say, uh, you know, it never I never believed that bullshit. And then but a lot of people, you know, they struggled with that. Uh, for me, I was kind of in the middle. I was, uh, I, I, I had anxiety, but, um, it never sat right with me. And it, it's the older I, the older I got, just there were cracks in the dam. And what was your, did you have any impressions about the founder, Charles Taze Russell? Did, did anything come through? Was he considered kind of almost a prophetic figure? Or, I don't really know what people in the church really thought of the founder of the church. Or right. The you know, it's interesting there was not a whole lot of discussion or focus on him um, or Rutherford um, who came after Russell. I just, there's so much. I know that like Paul Grundy from jwfacts.com and John Cedars, Lloyd Evans of the, of the John Cedars channel, they cover a lot of that, a lot of the history. But I remember growing up, it was like, oh, Charles Taze Russell, he restored true worship, but he's not the founder He's not the founder. We model ourselves after the first century Christians. So, but, but I remember a lot of, there was a lot of revisionist history, things that didn't add up. And there wasn't a whole lot of focus on the past. It was like, what's going on right now? And occasionally if they did talk about uh, Russell or Rutherford, it was always in a very positive light, not, you know, other things. Yeah, it, it makes me think of Joseph Smith because he, they make the same in Mormonism. They make the same statement. Joseph returned the true worship to the presence So Russell is somewhat similar. Also, they had you have a kind of an extra book in the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? An additional reading that's just as important as the Gospels. Is that correct? Um, we well, the or, we not we, but the organization definitely has their own their own translation, the new world translation. Yeah. New and, world translation. and what's, you know, what's really funny about that um, with, with Russell is that a lot of the principles that Russell talked about, you know, in the founding of the, um, you know, modern day Jehovah's witnesses, he'd be considered an apostate today. He'd be shunned today. He, he used to say things like, and you know, don't, I can't specify exactly which, magazine article this was jwfacts.com is a fantastic resource for that but he'd say stuff like the minute we start using the word organization we have problems <laughs> like wow and then and then nowadays it's like if you don't stay in jehovah's organization you know you're in trouble you're gonna die right. so it's just crazy and he'd, he'd say stuff like don't Im- impose your conscience on on someone else on your brother you know let them let him deal that deal with christ in his own way or whatever you know in so many words but the governing body has completely hijacked people's uh, conscience and wow. you can't, you can't just figure things out on, on your own or be balanced or reasonable or do what's best for you. You ha- absolutely have to fall in line. Yeah. You, I think there was a line in your book. It said the Rubik's cube of watchtower indoctrination. I like that phrase. So it's, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty, pretty crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, is that like, it's so prevalent right down my street, literally right where I live is a kingdom hall. So I see people coming there. It's very nice, but Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's just mysterious how because I they just because Jehovah's Witnesses don't really mix with other people as much as maybe some other Christian groups. So you know, I, you don't get the insight as much. But it's, it's uh, very, it's a very, very isolationist culture. And again, like I said, it was. It, it, there's a for a lot of witnesses. I know I'm not the only one. A lot of witnesses. A lot of witnesses are good, reasonable, decent people. But a lot of them were born into the organization, and because they're afraid to be shunned, they can't speak their mind or say, "Hey, are you you thinking the same thing I'm thinking? You know, do you have doubts about this?" They you can't do that because you'll get turned in. So you know, you see, you say there's a lot of mystery, and it's like this insular group, but it's like there are a lot of people inside that are like i want out anybody else thinking what i'm thinking you know they yeah so there's a lot of good people who are just trapped and frustrated or confused you know who maybe don't want to leave but they have certain issues that they know they can't really broach with the elders or with other people because they'll get in trouble for for questioning them and you also wrote in your book that the jehovah's witnesses manipulate people's careers and talents to kind of put them within uh, the church is that did you see example? Can you remember any examples of that happening to you or family members or people you knew? Yeah, well, first of all, like I mentioned before, college is a is a big no no. It's Satan's playground. Why, you know, not only you know are you going to be exposed to sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but you know why would you spend four years, you know, in this worldly institution when you can get a spiritual education? that's going to last into paradise. And, and they were telling people that in like the sixties and seventies that college was worthless. And guess what? The end of the world hasn't come yet. So yeah, absolutely. um, Limiting their chances uh, career, career wise and financially. And, but also they need to be, they need to be the center of your life. So like, I remember reading articles about, you know, like, oh, I was a ballerina or I was an artist. I had a promising career. I found a lot of deep personal fulfillment from my craft. Uh, But then, you know, somebody knocked on my door and showed me the error of my ways that I really, you know, gave too much attention to, you know, to this thing. And I learned about this and that and, and, um, you know, became a witness. And now my life is really great and really rich. Like you can't have both. You can't have both. You can't, you can't be like, it's like, Oh, I'm Baptist and I'm also a singer or I'm, you know, whatever Pentecostal. And I, you know, also do this with Jehovah's witnesses. You can't be something else. The the organization has to take center stage. And I've just, you know, seen people on a personal level and professional level and reading their articles just completely erase their personal identity and what makes them unique for the sake of the organization. When, you know, when you're, if you're being reasonable, it doesn't have to be that way. You can be spiritual and have your religious convictions, you know, without completely erasing who you are, but that nonetheless, there you go. That's a very profound effect on the individual too, not just the group itself, but the individual where you're so involved. It's almost, I mean, into a course of environment, right? Like, oh, absolutely. You, you become the cult identity. I, and, and that's basically just the whole theme running through this is that I had, I had a good sense of myself, but I was constantly suppressing it. There's some people who are true blue believers. I believed it was the truth because I had very devout parents. I loved my parents and 
I was just taking it in my whole life and didn't really rebel. <laughs> like, like I think I said in my book, like if I could go back in time, I would punch myself in the face. Like I was like really <laughs> a good well, kid. <laughs> well, you wouldn't be alone. People in co- coercive groups, you wouldn't be alone in that regard because yeah. I talk to people in Scientology, Mormonism, yeah. They uh, they all kind of have that, like, why am I doing this? I, t- I interviewed a guy, Kramer, but it was the same thing. His family, his parents, there were so many other factors involved. And also just kind of being young and naive, you just absorb that, like, this is the truth. So somebody's telling me that. I grew up Catholic, and that was the, that was just Peter's church. No question, you know, all these other things are false. You know, you don't have right. to worry about anything. We've got it all figured out for you. I'm not saying yes. it's like your witness doctrines, but... And people just go through gen- intergenerationally. Were you dad a Catholic? You're a Catholic. And it just, that was it. Right. I'm and, kind and of, you know, what's, what's really interesting about that is, and I know I'm not the only one. There are other witnesses who went through this. You know, we were raised going knocking on people's doors, telling them to question everything they were ever taught. Question your religious leaders you know, are you a Catholic just because your aunt Susie is a Catholic? Are you like almost guilt trippy? Like question everything that you hold uh, that that's important to you deeply, you know, cherished beliefs and uh, question, question things to the point that it's uncomfortable because then you'll find the truth, you know, study the Bible, read our magazines, of course, you know, because that'll take you to the truth. But was interesting, you know, hold up, your your belief system to all this scrutiny, but witnesses weren't allowed to do the same. And of course, I was young. I didn't catch that at the time, but I was older and I'm thinking, whoa, there's certain things that are not adding up. Why can't I question the governing body? Why can't I question this elder? This this doesn't make any sense. You were telling me that's what I should tell other people, but yet we can't we can't hold the organization up to that same scrutiny. So it's just a little hypocritical. Yeah, it's interesting. And also that that kind of involvement, you can see why you're not alone in many people in JW wanting to kind of come out of that coercion into it, just kind of a, a much more free, I would say, personal social life. I mean, yeah. it seems like, like you're just, <laughs> you and Shemwell and these other people in their mind all seem to right. be the same. Like They just want to listen to music and Yes. You know, acts on the weekends, which for other people is just standard, but for Jehovah's Witnesses, it's a full time job. I mean, it seems like. Is that correct? Would you agree with that? Yeah. And yeah, that that that's that's a good assessment. So, yeah, yeah, it's just it's just con- you're constantly squeezed. You don't have any breathing room. And uh, you're even even I know other witnesses if they're watching or ex witnesses if they're watching this, you'd be guilted if you went on vacation. Like no joke. Wow. Like I, I had, I had a sister, a pioneer sister, somebody who um, puts in like I think it's like seventy to a hundred hours a month preaching. I don't know the specific uh, uh, hour quota now, but I remember years ago she told me she was like, Bethany, I feel so guilty. I'm going to go on this cruise next week, and I feel like that's time I should be spending in the ministry. And in my head, I'm going wackadoodle, wackadoodle. But like she was my sister. And I had to be like, you know, you need a break. It was almost like I was subversive for <laughs> suggesting she should enjoy a week vacation in the sun. Right. Um, and, but I mean, you're really, I would you agree that you're kind of just building all of the witnessing and things like that. You're just building the church. 
not do you feel like you're i mean was there a distinction about just building the church or building christianity you know it seems like you're you're really trying to build up something yeah that, they, um, yeah they they you know the line was when you went to someone's door is oh we're just encouraging bible reading but we're not just encouraging bible reading read our magazines eventually with a view to studying and becoming baptized Jehovah's Witnesses. We're not just going out door to door just so you can read your Bible. There's an end game in mind, you know, and and I don't mean that like for, for viewers or listeners, not like, <laughs> I have like nefarious intentions, you know, like, you know, they're good people. They're sharing their beliefs. They think they're doing the right thing, but it's not just to spread the good word and to love Jesus. There is a, there is the motive of getting them to study and convert and become witnesses. Gotcha. And did you like, how did, can you tell the audience the steps you took to leading up to you leaving JW? Yes. So like I already described, was never happy as a witness. It never, you know, it was never my jam, but I felt it was the truth. It's what I have to do. Um, But I got married in 2015. He was a witness. Some of the viewers or listeners might know him as XJW Analyzer. He had a a channel for a while when I was doing uh, my channel, Stop the Shunning. But um, I couldn't have asked for a better partner. He was, uh, there was no pressure. He didn't try to turn me into like this JW Stepford wife. Like, because there's certain types, like I was like your, your like baseline boilerplate witness. I was putting in eight to 10 hours a month in the ministry. I was good. I was solid, but I wasn't like at the forefront, you know, like a pioneer or anything like that. So it was a good match. That's just the bottom line to that. But, um, but yeah, that was in 2015. But even then in the first few years of our marriage, uh, we were believers, but together, like, I was like, you know, together we started talking and it was like, there were cracks in the dam already. Things on, on both ends were, you know, both people were like, okay, some things are not adding up and we're talking. And my husband ended up doing research, starting to do research. And he started waking up to the, the truth about the truth, as they say, about six months prior. So it was like a six month lag. All I knew is intellectually, I didn't understand what was wrong. I just knew how I felt in my gut. And in 2017, spring of 2017, I basically had this nervous breakdown. I remember I was at a meeting and the circuit overseer was visiting. He's like the manager slash CEO that visits quarterly or every semester to see if everyone's doing their job, come and check in on, you know, the congregation and provide moral support and, you know, that kind of thing. But he was on stage. And I remember he said, and mind you, I'm already like hanging by a thread. Like I am just, everything's coming to a head. He says, a lot of our friends, a lot of the friends are suffering from depression. Don't we feel bad for them? I'm thinking like, yeah, this life, this life is stressful and being a witness. Yeah. No wonder a lot of people are suffering from depression, but he says a lot of the friends are suffering from depression. And he says, you know, we should console the crushed in spirit and, you know, offer a kind word at the right time or whatever. Then he said, and I remember because I had a very visceral reaction. He says, 
If this describes you, don't be selfish and think I need to stay home and take care of myself. You should be right in the center of Jehovah's organization. And it was like I had an outer body experience. I got up. I floated out of the hall. Never stepped foot in a kingdom hall ever again. Because that word was so triggering for me. My entire life, I had grown-ups, JW elders slash clergymen, and cult indoctrination literature being pounded into my brain that I'm selfish. And I know I'm not the only one who feels this way. There's a lot of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses that grapple with this guilt and shame and selfishness. Telling me that I'm selfish, but of course the opposite of being selfish is to do everything we tell you to do. It's a control strategy and I got sick of being controlled. It's like, I'm in my thirties, I can't take this shit anymore. So I left and that was the beginning. Uh, I then found the bite model uh, developed right. by Stephen Hassan. Yes. You know, stands for behavioral information, thought, and emotion control. And I'm looking at all the bullet points. And I'm like, holy crap. Like I said, intellectually, I didn't understand what was happening in my waking up process. I just knew that I didn't feel good. And then I'm thinking the witnesses hit every single, almost every single bullet point, save for one or two. I thought, holy crap, they're a cult. This guy has no skin in the game. He's a professional. He's, you know, ex Mooney. He went through the process, so yes, Mooney. Yeah, sorry. Right, exactly. He'd lived through it, and it's not like you know. <laughs> here's the thing that got me though. It wasn't considered apostate literature. It was a professional that you know created this model, and they just happened to objectively stack against the against the the evidence, you know, everything came together. I was like, he's got no skin in the game. This just happens to be a cult. So, so that was, I was digesting that. And my husband kept uh, tying back around. My husband kept doing research and he'd come to me and he'd say, did you see this article? Did you see this? Did you know that blah, blah. And I was getting upset, not at him specifically, but I was really getting upset because I had a feeling it was true. And if it was true, I was going to have to do something. I was going to have to take action. So it was like, I love you, but please stop. Like, I can't, I can't process this right now. And he did. He backed off and he kind of let me have my own process with it. But then December of 2017, just to wrap this up, December of 2017 is like a switch went off and I fell down the rabbit hole and just did a ton of research and I couldn't stop. Um, and I found out about the Australian Royal Commission, which, um, for those who don't know what happened with the Australian Royal Commission, a thousand, I think it was a thousand and six cases of child molestation had occurred in, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses congregation in Australia that were not reported to law enforcement. And that was one chunk it turns out that the organization has a chronic systemic child sexual abuse problem that they've been covering up for decades. Barbara Anderson, people, if they want more information, Barbara Anderson, um, I think it's Bill Bowen of Silent Lambs, Gary or Bill Bowen of Silent Lambs has, has been researching this. Trey Bundy, um, uh, another investigative journalist has been, has been looking into this. This is a chronic systemic problem. They have a secret database at their headquarters in New York 
with thousands upon thousands of names of known, you know, uh, predators and sex offenders that were never reported to law enforcement. So, uh, you know, I think it's safe to say that witnesses never just never leave for one thing. It's usually a combination of things, but it's like might be one thing that really sets them off. That was the thing that that sent me over the edge. I just thought, what a disturbing legacy to leave behind. What a disturbing legacy, child molestation, shunning people till they kill themselves, right. you know, uh, they no it's blood. Yeah, yeah. 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 So just um, so anyways, my husband and I ended up disassociating, sending in our disassociation letters in December of 2017, New Year's Eve. So we, we rang in 2018 as free people. That's there you go. So you've been out for three years now. What was it like leaving with your parents and family or I assume your social circle was built within the church. What, what was it like kind of adjusting to this newer reality? So there was immediate relief, immediate relief. But of course there's fallout. Um, I told, first of all, like, as I mentioned before, I was always trying to create a tribe of friends that I clicked with in the org, but it never really happened. Like I had some friends here and there, but so the loss of friends for me personally was not a big deal. Like I, I knew it was coming. Um, but my parents, you know, I told them, I love you. You're always welcome in my life, but I can't live a lie anymore. This, I can't be something I'm not. I'm disassociating for these reasons, dot, dot, dash. And, uh, but it went nowhere. You know, they're, they're very devout. And, um, you know, I can't change their mind. They they call it conviction. I have reason to believe that it's more coercive mind control and decades of indoctrination that they've been marinating in, but it's not my life. So, you know, I, I leave the door open, but I have to create closure for myself, you know, and move forward, move forward with my life. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. What was it like adjusting to or meeting newer people outside of the church? What was your experience uh, like that? Like, Well, again, for me, like everybody's journey who came from the organization, uh, there's similarities and differences. For me, because I grew up around worldly family and went to college and went to public school or whatever, I had no, like, I get along with a rock. Like, it's like, like, I have no problem, like, meeting people. And, you know, sometimes it gels, sometimes it doesn't. Um, so I actually was okay in that regard, but it's still, it's awkward. You, you don't, that indoctrination does not go away overnight. It's like, I describe it like an onion. It's like you're peeling away layers, you know, and it's smelly and weird. <laughs> like, no, yeah. All this, you're, um, you know, you're in a group of maybe not just necessarily, not specifically JW, but ex-Mormons, ex-Scientologists, so many loonies. Right. That have to kind of process. I don't think it really, a lot of those people aren't, they don't just click it off in their minds. It's still with them. Their memories are there. Their experience are there. So you have to digest it, you know, process it. That's a tough position right, right. to be in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so like I was, I was ready to do it. And I, I, um, I was excited, you know, the, the world is my oyster or whatever, but I mean, whether you're religious or not religious, ex J-Dub, ex-Mormon or whatever the, whatever the thing is, you know, friendships take time. 
you know, life, it takes time for certain things to click. So I'm not saying like, once you leave, it's going to be super easy, you know, to make friends, but it really, it really depends on the person and, you know, putting in, putting in the time and effort. And sometimes it pays off. Sometimes you click, sometimes you don't, but at least with the witnesses, you have a built-in community and love them or hate them. You're stuck with them. In this case, you get to find genuine friendships. Like I would rather somebody just be like, screw you. I don't like you. Okay, great. At least I know you're being honest with me. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, that, uh, yeah. That's the case within that church. It's interesting. So with your kind of the time adjustments in your life after 2017, how did you fill your time now that you didn't have to kind of do as much church stuff or kingdom oh. balls? Yeah. You know, you can just, you can just breathe. I won't speak for everyone, you know, because everyone has their unique set of circumstances, but um, it's just amazing how much time and energy is spent just in busy work and in, you know, organization active organizational activities, uh, that it was just immediate relief. But, um, you know, I felt, I felt compelled to, I found the XJW community. So I went online, found John Cedars. He was instrumental in helping me completely wake up. I knew like I knew I was done, but having someone very clearly, calmly, rationally explain, no, you're not crazy. Like the organization, you know, has, has a lot of the organization's messed up. You're not alone. Other people feel the same way, but not in a way that was insulting or sensationalized. So it just, he, I connected with his channel. He really helped me in my process. And then I was really encouraged. I'm not going to say the word, encouraged. That's another word. That's like, eh, cause witnesses use the term encouraged all the time. I just triggered myself. Um, but I was really, I was really motivated or inspired by the XJW community and wanted to do my part in whatever way I could. And the thing that was closest to my heart was the shunning issue. Um, because, you know, that's, that's what kept me in a lot longer than I ever would have stayed. Cause I was terrified of, you know, being shunned you know, by my parents and you live with that threat over your head for so long. It just, it really, it really does a number on you. So I wanted other people to be able to come to this space. I started the channel, stop the shunning in 2018. I think it was like the fall of 2018. And, you know, it was great meeting so many different people, hearing their stories and just feeling that like, you know, I, I did not create it. People, some people would ask me like, you know, Oh, you know, you know, people, people are going to, the, the parents are going to shun you anyway, or your cousin or your aunt or uncle is going to shun you anyway. It's not for the people. When I say stop the shunning, it's not for the people who are doing the shunning. It was for people to heal, to be able to speak their truth and also for the public. So like the next time that nice little old lady comes to your door with magazines or, you know, a well-dressed, you know, man comes to your door with magazines talking about the Bible. This is the side they're not going to talk about. You know, you know, intergenerational trauma from their shunning policy. You know, the fact that I had a dear friend commit suicide last year. So, yeah. So, so yeah, that's why I started Stop the Shunning. Sorry, my brain went went off for a little bit. No, but I mean, there's, I mean, you go through a lot of trauma is the perfect word, leaving those groups. It's a brand new life step. I mean, you likened it to stepping off a cliff. Um, Yeah. And your YouTube channel, again, is Burning Down the House. Can you 
say the names of people investigating sexual abuse within um, JW was Barbara. What was her last yeah, name? Bar- Barbara Anderson. She's the OG. Anderson. She has been doing this for decades. Um, in fact, I think she not. I think I know she was on a Dateline special. I want to say like 2000 or 2001. I think you can YouTube it. And then so Barbara Anderson, she was she was a Bethelite, which is a big deal. She was at the headquarters of Jehovah's Witnesses for for I think I don't remember how long. Don't quote me on that. Maybe 20 years or something like that. But she she knew a lot of what was going on and uh, was was cracking that open. And then there was also I think his name is Bill Bowen or Gary Bowen. I want to say Bill Bowen of Silent Lambs. I don't know if it's silentlambs.org or .com, but he's been covering this also. He was an elder that um, spoke out against uh, their policy of um, protecting uh, child, you know, child sexual abuse, protecting the predator instead of the child in the congregation. So he started talking about that and investigating. And then Trey Bundy. Trey Bundy recently um, collaborated with Oxygen. There was a big Oxygen special about the witnesses, about the witnesses, and a couple of uh, former witnesses shared their story and got into greater detail. I'm I'm not really the one to. I don't even really cover it in my book. You know, kind of there, there's John Cedars, Trey Bundy, those people I've mentioned, uh, JWFacts.com that really gets really detailed. I don't want to speak out of turn, but there's a lot of details out there and research that's been done on those topics. Those are really good resources. Definitely looking in. And you're also a trained life coach, is that correct? That's correct. I'm a certified life coach. I have a new YouTube channel. Um, It's called Burning Down the House. And I talk about these themes of family dynamics, um, how to overcome family expectations and build a new life. So basically, burning down the house is obviously a metaphor for completely dismantling and destroying the expectations that your family constructed for you in the event that these expectations are harmful or hinder your growth and potential. So, you know, I mean, like in Western culture, in Western society, there's this idea of the sanctity of family. Family is the sacred institution. We should never question it. And as a result, I'm seeing a lot of, you know, grown adults who are brilliant capable, decent, good people who are putting their lives on hold, who are afraid, afraid to have their own opinions and beliefs. And a lot of them end up being estranged or disowned for, you know, their sexual orientation, their difference in religious beliefs or political affiliation or their choice of career. It's just seeing, seeing these bright adults, these individuals terrified to be themselves because they don't want to rock the boat or cause problems in the family. So it's not, it's not anti-family. It's just, what do you do whenever your beliefs and values conflict with those of your upbringing? You know, what do you do to find the emotional fortitude to move forward when mutual respect and compromise are not possible? How can we make that transition, you know, from, from being a people pleaser or always putting yourself last to living a life that's personally resonant, one that feels right for you. So that's the goal with the channel. And I'm currently working on the book. I don't have a release date yet, but, um, but yeah, you can follow that, that journey on my channel. Gotcha. So are you going to have a book of the same title? Is that your intent? 
That is correct. Yes. Okay, and you so burning down the house, how to overcome family ex- expectations and build a new life. Gotcha. And then you also have a website. It's Bethany, B-E-T-H-A-N-Y-L-E-G-E-R.com. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. The, the name, <laughs> the last name is Cajun French. It's Leger. It looks, Leger. it looks, yeah, it's hard to pronounce, but yeah, Bethany Leger, exactly. B-E-T-H-A-N-Y-L-E-G-E-R.com. I have my books on there. I have a link to my channel and, you know, updates and news and stuff like that. Awesome. And uh, so people can reach out to you if they have any questions, maybe XJWs, people might want some advice, could contact you at your website. Do you have any other, do you have no other social media other than YouTube and that uh, web channel? Or yeah, currently, I'm, I'm currently working on uh, some other forms of social media, but yeah, for now, for now I have my PMO book, working on my next book and they can find me at burning down the house YouTube channel, but I might need to leave a link because it's really new. So they might not be able to find me in search results, but, okay. um, but I yeah. can put that in the show notes. I'll, I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. So okay, again, great. is there anything you'd like to add? Anything I missed or anything you'd like to share? Um, you know, I, I just hope that if there are, current Jehovah's Witnesses or PMOs that are watching. I just hope you find your freedom, you know, figure out whatever perspective shift needs to happen to put yourself first and to take care of yourself and your family. You know, I know it's really difficult to go through, go through that process of being shunned. Um, Read the book, you know, find, find the inner strength find support systems, people that will, will love you and support you and be there by your side through that scary time. Cause it is a really scary time. Um, you know, so, so basically, basically that's it. I wish, I wish the best to those people who are still in. Well, I, I read your book. I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, but I found a lot of uh, helpful insights or tips in there too. So again, the title of the book is physically in mentally out by Bethany Leger. The subtitle is Navigating Your Exit from Watchtower. Thank you so much, Bethany. Thank you, William. It was great being on. Awesome. All right. You still there?